We spend a lifetime believing it. It affects our decisions, our desires, and our direction. It affects our friendships, our finances, our marriages, our careers, and our future. We spend the entirety of their formative years teaching this to our children because the principle is absolutely 100% true. And it is also 100% deadly. For some of you, this has plunged you into a deep depression from which you cannot seem to escape. For others, it's caused you to give up on your dreams. For many, it has made your life one long blur of lethargy, an emotionless routine, the same day after day after endless day. It has robbed you of true joy and real contentment for as long as you could remember. And you wish it could be different, but it never seems to change. And you feel stuck. And it's all because you believe this principle. Never settle for second best. We say it all the time. Never settle for second best. Now, if you go on Pinterest or one of those other wonderful collections of theological thoughts, <laughs> you'll find that some of the variations on this slogan are quite clever, like this one. Rule number one, never be number two. It's clever. But if you read long enough, some of them are absolutely heartbreaking. I saw several. This is one of them. That's the problem with putting others first. You just taught them that you come second. Wow, that's pretty raw. And that's the moment when you start reading through the variations that you see the inherent anti-scriptural bias in the principle, never settle for second best. Because Jesus, he did teach us to put others first, didn't he? But we've believed this for so long, never settle for second best. And we've made so many decisions because of never settle for second best. And sometimes we can't get our lives turned around because we've boxed ourselves into a corner. And it's so troubling to see the hurt and the heartache and the horrible decisions that happen just because somebody doesn't like second best. See, if you think you have a second best marriage, you leave, or you cheat, or you simply disconnect, and you end up with a house but not a home. If you think you have a second best job, you resign, or you complain, or you simply grit your teeth and show up, and they have your presence, but they don't have your passion. If you think you have a second best house or car, you become jealous or you simply don't take care of your own possessions and you make it worse. If you think you come second best in any relationship, you quarrel and fight, you isolate, or you become painfully awkward, or you simply suffer in silence. The devil can use all of that to hurt us spiritually. But there's one part of your life that goes far beyond any of those areas. One part of your life where he invests a lot of time and energy trying to get you to believe the second best principle. And that is your spiritual life. See, the devil wants you to believe that if you've ever made a mistake, if you've ever failed or fallen, 
If you've ever yielded to temptation, if you've ever backslidden or walked away from church, if you've ever turned your back on God, then your situation is hopeless. And no matter how hard you try now, you will always be second best. Oh, he loves to grind that into your face. But it's even worse than that. Because for some of you that haven't wandered so far and nobody would ever call you a backslider or say you went through a season of of leaving church or leaving God, it's even worse than that because the devil even attacks those kind of people. He wants you to believe that if you've ever had a season in your life when you were maybe spiritually lukewarm, if you've ever just taken a few months and just gone through the motions and you knew it and you hope nobody else knew it, If there was a time when you didn't pick up your Bible for a few weeks or you didn't pray like you should or you didn't worship or serve or give or live like you knew you should. If there was a time when you struggled repeatedly with a secret sin and you lost more battles than you won, then the devil would love you to believe that your situation is also hopeless. And no matter how hard you try now, you will always be less than you could be, less than you should be. You will always be second best. Does anybody besides me see how sinister that lie is? You'll always be second best. No wonder Jesus, he had a a running three and a half year feud with all the religious leaders who squashed people's dreams and who who, who just kind of tied up the, the, the beautiful truth of God in all kinds of regulations that that hurt people instead of help people. No wonder in his running feud with the Pharisees, Jesus said something pretty strong to them and then he described who was behind what they were doing. Look at this, John 8. You are of your father the devil. That's pretty strong. And the lusts of your father you will do. Now then, he turns his attention because it's not really those religious people. It's really the, the person kind of controlling them and speaking through them. And that's the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. Don't you believe the devil wants anything good for you? He wants to kill you. Not here. Eternally. That's what he's interested in. He was a murderer from the beginning. He never abode in the truth because there is no truth in him. And here's Jesus' punchline. When the devil speaks a lie, and he always does, he speaks of his own. One translation says it's his own native language. The devil, you speak English perhaps as your mother tongue. The devil speaks lying as his mother tongue. He cannot tell the truth. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his own language because he is a liar and he's the father of everything false you could ever believe that would keep you from God. That's the devil. But for a lie to work, for a lie to work, it must have an element of truth in it because it has to be at least believable. And that's how the second best lie works. That's how the devil works. Here's how it works. It's true you messed up. It's true you knew better. It's true you failed. It's true you should have done better. All absolutely true. But here's the lie. It doesn't have to stay true. It doesn't have to remain that way. 
You don't have to wallow in it and you don't have to keep doing it. You can change. That's the other thing. The devil doesn't want you to remember that God gave you this incredible privilege called repentance. John said this in his epistle. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How in the world could God be just? How could it be fair for him to look at you and all your sin and all your mistakes and failures and all your faults? How could it be just? How could it be fair for him to forgive you your sins? Here's how it's fair. He took your sins when he died on the cross. Fair trade, end of story. You don't have to bear the penalty of your sin because he took the penalty of your sin. That's why it's just for him to forgive you. But there's a better word in there than just. I'm glad it's fair because heaven has to operate on truth and fairness and heaven has to operate on righteousness and holiness. And so I'm glad it's just or it would break down. But there's another better, greater word in there. He's not only just to forgive you your sins. It's not only a fair trade because he took your penalty. He is faithful to forgive you your sin. That means if you messed up twice today already, if you messed up seven times this week or 40 times this month, he is faithful if you'll sincerely ask him. He's faithful to forgive you your sins. But here's the thing. He doesn't just want to forgive you your sin so you can say, oh, good, momentary fix. I'll head right back to it. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just want to put a Band-Aid on your life. He wants to give you a better life. He doesn't just want to kind of fix it so you feel better for an hour or a day or a week. He wants to help you fix it so you don't have to live under it, so you don't have to be bound by it, so it doesn't end up destroying your life. That's what he wants to do. There's an ancient Chinese proverb anything ancient, we don't actually know for sure that it comes from the beautiful Chinese people, but anything ancient, their cultures existed so long, they just tag it on them. And so this could be an ancient Chinese proverb, or it could be an ancient somebody else's proverb, but we're going to let the wonderful Chinese people have this one, because that's what the internet says. (laughs) And if it's on the internet, it must be true. An ancient Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is now. And the financial people, they took that principle. This is what Pastor Terry said last Sunday morning that just wouldn't let go of me. And the financial people took it and said, the best time to start investing your money, the best time to start saving is 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. And the Bible would emphatically teach us that the best time to repent is 20 years ago. The best time to turn your life around and stop sinning is 20 years ago. The best time to do it right make it right, ask for forgiveness, turn away from that. The best time to have a great marriage or be a great 
parent, the best time to serve God, the best time to be faithful to church, the best time to get yourself in prayer meeting, the best time to be a worshiper and a prayer warrior and a sacrificial giver and a tither, the best time is 20 years ago. But the second best time is today. When it comes to your spiritual life, it's never going to be as easy or as ideal or as perfect as you wish it could be. So, please hear me. When it comes to the mistakes you have made in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God, whatever that looks like, when it comes to your mistakes, please hear me. Always settle for second best. Don't believe the lie that just because you made a mistake and it's never going to be perfect and you're never going to have a perfect track record that you should just wallow in the mistake that you fell into, that you should just kind of settle for where you are right now. If you've got to take second best, always take second best if it gets you back to God. Always take second best if it gets you praying again. Always take second best if it gets you back in church. Always take second best. The best time to do all of that. The best time for you to stop fighting with your spouse and destroying your marriage by cutting words and harsh attitudes. The best time to do that is 20 years ago. But the second best time to turn that around is today. The best time to invest in your kids and love them and teach them and get them to church and get them involved in every activity you can possibly get them involved in and build relationships within the church and don't let all their friends be at school or in the world. The best time to do that is 20 years ago. But if you didn't do that, the second best time is today. The best time to clear up your financial mess is 20 years ago. Second best time? today, the best time to be the employee that your entire workplace talks about. Aren't they awesome? They're always here early. They're always here late. They're always working hard. They're always diligent. The best time to be that kind of employee is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. The best time to ask somebody for forgiveness for that attitude you've harbored and that dislike that rockets around in your brain, the best time to get that cleared up is 20 years ago. But the second best time is today. Hebrews chapter 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He said, brethren, watch yourselves. No, don't just watch you. Watch each other. Care for each other. Love each other. Watch each other lest somebody could get an evil heart of unbelief and start straying away from God. Exhort one another daily. Watch this. While it is called today. Somebody say today. today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The devil is never going to give up. The devil is never going to stop tempting. The devil is never going to go on vacation. The devil is never going to ease up on how he tries to attack your mind and your heart. He's never going to stop. So you got to keep your guard up. And we got to help each other keep our guard up lest anyone be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There are many reasons 
why you should never delay repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a choice to turn away from sin. Repentance is a choice to obey the scripture. Repentance is a choice to walk God's way instead of your way. And there are many reasons in the Bible you should never delay repentance. First of all, the Bible commands us to repent today. Today's the day of salvation. Secondly, none of us know the day we're going to die and run out of time to repent. So don't delay repentance. Number three, when you say no to God, it will become easier to say yes to sin. So you need to repent today. Because if you keep saying no to God, I'll do it later, I'll turn around later, it becomes easier and easier to say yes to sin. And sin only leads to bondage, destruction, addiction, perversion, and death in your spiritual life. There's a fourth reason why you should never delay repentance. When you continue to sin, your heart becomes hardened, just like this verse says. Your heart becomes hardened. It's like you develop a callus, and it takes much more to move you toward God because you keep delaying repentance. But you could free yourself up today if you just repented, and your heart could become soft and tender toward God. There's a fifth reason not to delay repentance. It's because the harder your heart becomes, the more pain and force God has to use to turn you around. It's like that story about the prodigal son that I'll reference in a minute. He went clear to the bottom. He went clear to the pig pen. Why? Because he had to bottom out in his life before he would realize he needed to turn around. And the, the, the longer you delay repentance and the harder your heart becomes toward God and the easier it is to shrug off conviction, the more pain you're going to have to go through. Why would God let you go through pain? Why would he inflict trouble and all of that on your life? Because he wants you in his holy heaven forever and forever and forever. He loves you that much. He'll let anything happen to you down here so you can live forever with him over there. This is a blip on the radar. That's eternity. There's a sixth reason you should never delay repentance. It's because the scripture tells us there is a point of no return when God says, okay, if you really want that, I'll let you have it. And he gives us over to the sin we desire so much more than him. And there's a seventh reason. And maybe this is the most important reason of all. <laughs> Don't delay repentance. Because when you delay repentance, do you know what you're also delaying? You're delaying God's blessings on your life. That's why you shouldn't delay repentance. The longer you delay your repentance, the longer you delay turning around, the longer you delay giving your heart fully and completely and totally to God, the more you delay the blessings he'd love to pour out on your life. The best time to repent is 20 years ago. Second best time is today. Second Corinthians, Paul said, we then as workers together with God, we beg you, we beseech you also, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't waste God's great gift of salvation. Don't squander God's great gift of forgiveness. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. And then, then he says this, 
What do you mean, Paul? Well, God said, I've heard you in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation, I've succored you, I've helped you, I've nursed you back to health. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't squander the opportunity to turn it around today. Don't squander the opportunity to get right today. Don't squander this time when you could, in a moment of repentance, you could be free from bitterness. You could be free from lust. You could be free from hatred. You could be free from everything that's holding you down. It's one of the most famous moments in Scripture. Music, come on back. And it is certainly one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's called, We Say, the story of the prodigal son. Now the word prodigal doesn't appear in the Bible. But the word prodigal simply means wasteful. And so this was a waste of a son. The shame this son brought on his family and his father his disrespect and his greed, his squandered privileges, and the horrible depths to which this Jewish boy sunk, that would have been absolutely horrifying and shocking to Jesus' audience. The results of living outside of our Heavenly Father's influence are always disastrous, 100% of the time. And nothing Nothing can prevent the ultimate consequences from catching up with us. The farther away we run, the worse the destruction becomes. As exciting as the world appears, the Father's house is the only place where you will ever experience real love and real life. The world is the illusion the Father's house is reality. Now some people are surprised by this story that Jesus told. They're shocked that God would ever act like this father in this story. They're shocked on a number of levels. For one thing, the father does absolutely nothing. He doesn't lift a finger to stop his son from taking advantage of him from taking his inheritance, from heading away from home and wasting it. He does nothing to stop him. He doesn't try to stop the son from engaging in behaviors that the father knows will destroy that young man's life. He doesn't lift a finger because if he did, he would make that son into a reluctant robot and not a loving son. But notice also that the father never leaves the house. He does not go to the distant country in search of his son. He will not rescue his boy against his will. He will let him go. He will let him destroy himself until he has discovered that the world he wanted is a lie. It's empty and void. How ironic that the son's pursuit of pleasure will make pain his constant companion. Now we can stand back and see, oh, how foolish 
that son is. We can see the destructive results of his lifestyle coming at him like a freight train even before it happens. But when you are the one in the middle of the situation and you're the one wrestling for your future and your spiritual life against the sinister devil that's against you, when you're the one, when you're the prodigal, when you're the one who strayed, when you're the one who wandered, it's not nearly as easy to see, is it? The world looks appealing. The people seem to be so free and having such a good time. And the devil will try to convince you you're invincible. You're immune from the destruction that has taken place in other people's lives. You're smarter than they are. That will never happen to you. Those things will never happen in your life. But they do happen, don't they? And they have happened, haven't they? The pig pen could have and should have and would have been the end of that son. But something happened that turned everything around. Even after he had made such a colossal mess of his life. No, the house didn't change. No, the father didn't change. Do you know what changed? That boy changed his mind. And when he changed his mind, it changed everything. That's all it took. Luke 15, Jesus' most famous story. And when that boy came to himself, he said, there's a lot of servants back home at dad's house. They've got bread. They've got extra bread. And I'm starving to death. I know what I'm going to do. I've wrecked everything. I've been away so long. I don't know how I'm even going to be received. But I have decided I am going to change today. I will get up and I will go home to my father and I will say to dad, father, I'm not trying to make any excuses. I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned before you and I am no longer worthy to even be called your son. So if you just give me this, just let me be second best. Just let me be a servant. Just let me work in the field. Just let me work in the barn make me like one of your hired servants and so he got up and he headed to his father I'm sorry we just need to thank God for his mercy right now and I'll conclude would you just lift up your voice for just a moment I'm overwhelmed with this
I worship you, Jesus. And as he heads up that long, lonely road, back to a place that he left, back to a place that he spurned, back to a place that he just took everything he could get and left and walked away. You can only imagine what was going through his mind. Am I going to be received? Are they going to slam the door in my face? Are they going to curse me? But when he was yet a great way off, hadn't even made it back to the gate yet, his father saw him because he was looking for him. That's why he saw him. And his father had compassion. And now you got two people running. The son is running for his dad, and the dad is running for his boy. And they meet somewhere in the middle. And the father fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son started his little speech. Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in your sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And his father interrupted his little speech. And he's hollered to his servants. Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to eat and be merry and we're going to celebrate and have a party. You know why? Because my son was dead and I don't want him to be dead. My son was gone and I don't want him to be gone. My son was distant and I don't want him to be distant. My son was messed up and I don't want him to be messed up anymore. He was dead, but he's alive again. He was distant. He was away. He was ignoring me. He was ignoring father's house, but something changed. You know what changed? That boy said, I'm changing. I'm heading home. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. The father didn't change. The son changed. (laughs) You know what happened? The son said, I can never go back. I've squandered my inheritance. I can never go back to the way it was. I've had precious people sit in the office here at this church weeping profusely and say, I know things about sin that I wish to God I didn't know. (laughs) So I can either sit here in the pig pen and die here in the slop Or, I can say, I'm willing to settle for second best. I'm willing to get up and even though I can't fix the past and I can't go back and turn it around and change it, I can fix today. I can't fix yesterday, but I can fix today. I can't fix last week or last year, but I can fix today. Today, I can stand up. Today, I can get up. Today, I can head back. Today, I can repent. And just like that, he was welcomed back into the family. And just like that, he got to come home. And just like that, his life became more or less like it had been before all because he changed his mind and all because he repented.
Now I know what somebody's saying. If it's that easy, then what's the big deal about repenting today? Why couldn't I just leave it till tomorrow or next week? First of all, weren't you listening earlier? There's a lot of Bible reasons not to delay repentance. By delaying God's, by delaying your repentance, you're delaying God's blessings. But there's something else. In Jesus' story, there's not one son, there's two. And we've given the elder brother some serious grief over the years for his attitude. But I don't know if you've ever stopped to realize there might not have even been a home to go back to if it hadn't been for the elder brother serving his father with faithful labor. And I don't know if you've ever considered the father's words to the elder brother. Son, you are ever with me and all that I have is thine. Pastor Terry said this last week. It just would not let go. Here's what he said. Boy, elder son, your brother got a calf and a party. You got a farm. Because you stayed faithful and you didn't leave, all that I have is thine. So let me address this. It does pay to stay. It does pay not to stray. It does pay not to sin. It does pay to be faithful. But if you have sinned, stop judging yourself by a faulty standard of perfection. Stop setting yourself up for continued failure. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what your position is in the house as long as you get yourself back to the house. It doesn't matter what your position is in heaven as long as you get to heaven. You please excuse me if you're visiting. I'm not usually this messed up, but I am messed up today. The best time for you to do this the best time for you to repent. The best time for you to make it right. Yes, it would have been 20 years ago. But I'm thankful for a God that will allow second choices, second chances, even second best. The second best time to turn around and get up and get back home is today. John said, if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood that we sang about today, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Start walking in the light today. Be restored to fellowship today. Get back home today. And the blood will start cleansing today oh would you lift up your hands in this room even if that's not your comfort zone if you'd just 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 help here for a minute because there's something so powerful loose in this service today 
because this is a day that God wants to run out and hug some prodigals. This is a day when God wants to get his arms of love around somebody that you've been lukewarm and hiding it well, but you've been lukewarm. God wants to get his arms of love around somebody that hasn't even talked to him through prayer for a number of days or weeks, but he doesn't care about that. He just wants to run out there and he wants to grab you and say, even though you messed up, even though you wandered away, I'm just wanting you to get back on track. You deserve to be in the house. You deserve to be a son. Stop thinking about it. It'll never be. It'll never be. Stop thinking that way. Just change and head back to me and I'll come running for you because second best in the church is better than the very best in the world. I need some people to stand to your feet and join this precious sister at this altar because God's not just talking to her. God's talking to a bunch of people. Don't you hide out there in those seats. Don't you hide out there in those pews because God wants to welcome you home today. It's the day of second chances. It's the day of a brand new start. It's the day when God wants to wrap you up in his arms of love and forgive you. Church, we're a little too sedate and silent in our response this morning. We're just a little bit too sedate and silent. This is our only service in this building this morning. We need to make it a good one. We need to soak this altar with some tears and soak this atmosphere with some prayer. So would you push into the altar today? Everybody that names the name of Jesus, you're needed at the altar today. They'll sing in a minute, but right now, I just need to hear some lifted voices. Some lifted voices. Today is your day to get back. Today is your day to be restored. Today is your day to start praying again. Today is your day to start worshiping again. Today is your day to walk away from that addiction. Today is your day to spit adieu to your failures in the rearview mirror and say, I used to act like that. I didn't mess up. I do have regrets but today I'm going to stand up and head home. I'll tell you what would crack this service open is if you'd reach over to somebody near you and begin to pray with them right now. You don't understand what's going on in somebody's heart today. You don't understand what's happening in somebody's life today. You don't get it. You don't get it. But right now, God wants to come and wrap his arms around many people in this place. God wants to restore your marriage. God wants to restore your home. God wants to restore your joy and your peace. God wants to do it. It's the day of second chances.